Today, we are zooming out and looking forward. Yep, we're going to get out of some of the day-to-day weeds of being accountants and being firm owners, and are going to talk about what's going on in the larger economic environment, what it may mean for our firms and for our clients. And very, very thankfully, we have a friend here who actually spends time, her time studying this because otherwise, if it was just me and Matthew, we'd be making some pretty wild ass predictions that would probably make no sense. We're doing all that here today on Drink While You Think, the happy hour conversation between a couple of guys who are building their firm in really weird ways. I'm your host, Kenji, along with my trusty co-host, Matthew. Matthew, who is our sponsor today? Drink While You Think today is sponsored by Gusto. Gusto, the preferred app of all accountants for all accounting HR and payroll needs. Gusto. Matthew loves leaning in and doing his sponsor announcement. But I can move beyond that. That sponsor voice. That sponsor voice. I love sponsor voice, Matthew. Let's move beyond that and introduce everyone to our friend Liz, who is here. Liz, we are so pumped to have you here. Uh, Tell us about you and what you're doing and what you're drinking today. Yeah. Hey, y'all. Thanks, Kenji and Matt for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Like I said earlier, when, you know, uh, my colleagues approached me about doing this, I was like, Kenji's awesome. I'll talk about anything with Kenji. So I'm really glad to be here. Um, I am the principal economist at Gusto. I uh, empower a team called the Gustonomics team. And yeah, we totally call it that for real. Um, But we sort of take all the data on the platform and all the data that's out in the world. And we do a bunch of like economic analysis and future of work stuff, like what's happening in the economy and in the environment and really bringing that down to the on the ground view. Like, what does that mean for businesses that we serve, right? We serve over 200,000 small businesses and accountants who serve businesses and, you know, big companies can afford like teams of economists. And we're like, that's, that's, we can do that right for our partners so that they can like have that intelligence too. So like, that's, that's sort of what I do in a nutshell. And today I am drinking, um, Trogues. I had to look up how to pronounce this brewery, which I think is well known and loved by beer nerds, but I thought it was Tregs, but it's Trogues. Uh, Hayes Charmer, which is a mild session IPA, which is quite nice. I'm not really like an I- IBU person myself, but I have really enjoyed this. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a good one. Okay. I'd like that. Matthew probably wouldn't be crazy about that. He's not a huge IPA no. person. I'd probably enjoy that. Okay. Like that. Matthew, what, do you, what about you? What do you got today? I'm going with Stone's Imperial Stout. It's Ooh. kind of a heavy duty one, 10 and a half percenter. So it's a Whoa. little chilly in Atlanta today. So going going with that one. And I brought a glass Kenji today. So oh, you'd you be not you. annoyed I, I, by me, just so you guys can see how. so fancy. It is fancy. It is <laughs> no, fancy. Kenji is the, normally Kenji is the only one with the glass. So I'm the fan- I, I thought I I'd be ooh. fancy today because Liz was here. I just opened my beer and it spilled all over my office. That's great. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm drinking the Bold Monk Chance. That's a local one here in town. It's a lager, a little bit lighter. It's 5.4%. See, that's how you do the poor math. You look at that. Um, and I'm, I went lighter alcohol on this one just because Matthew and I are still recovering from some jet lag. I'm trying to figure out what day it is. So I don't know. I thought lighter beer would help. He went heavier. But cheers, friends. Glad to have everybody on here. Cheers. Um, cheers. 
See, he has like the real glasses mm-hmm. when you're supposed to drink beer out of. It's not just a very man. fancy snifter. And here I am, like a like a uncultured person without a glass or anything. Oh, Liz. Okay, I normally okay. drink out of the can. I just because you were on, I was like, oh, it's a special occasion. So I bought a glass down. <laughs> uh, we classed it up, I'll tell you, for sure. Um, all right. Well, let's get into it. And I, I do want to go back and mention something. I, I think that something you said, Liz, I think is super cool um, and maybe a little nerdy for, but I mean, as partners, like Gusto is giving us as partners, like our own economics team to lean on. I think that's really important and really cool because you're right. This is something that's only like Fortune 500 and, you know, big billion dollar companies have. And these are things that like come up with clients who want our opinion on things in the economy. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, maybe I'll try to listen to Bloomberg or something tomorrow morning before I talk to you again, but I don't have any ideas. So I think it's, I love what the Gustonomics team is doing. Um, and I'm excited about that. We'll talk more about, I think, what people can expect, um, that what that help is going to look like for a lot of firm owners. But I got a chance to meet you and hear you speak at Gusto Next, which was, you know, what, a month or two ago. Um, and there's something really stood out to me in your presentation. And I guess it was at the very end. And I think you finished with this question of, of saying, why is everything so crazy pants right now? Right. You're like, it's just crazy. And I guess in the, I guess the only probably, I don't know, six, eight weeks since it's been Gusto next, I feel like it's only gotten like kind of crazier. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's how we always feel about things, but I don't know. In, in short, like why, why is everything so crazy? Like inflation, it's kind of going nuts and, and, you know, talks of recession and labor issues. It's a big, broad statement, the whole crazy pants thing, but like, are we still in crazy pants time? Yeah. I mean, I will say the thing is like a lot of churn has like happened in six to eight weeks. Like a lot of news has come out. Uh, I still think that like by and large crazy pants is an appropriate term to use here. I think we're still in crazy pants. And I think I also said like, you know, buckle up. It's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a ride to get through this. And I, you know, the, for the folks that weren't there, I also actually asked uh, our like design team to draw like a gigantic cartoon snake, you know, eating, eating a very large animal. I think it was a cow or something. And I still think that that's like applicable here to think about, you know, what's going on. You know, the economy is really like still processing through all of the changes that happened because of COVID. Everybody went home. A bunch of people lost their jobs. You know, leisure and hospitality still hasn't fully recovered from the pandemic and like a bunch of jobs that we didn't have before in like transportation and warehousing and healthcare and all of that, like really amped up. So the economy just like had this like big thing happened to it. And it's, you know, we're still trying to sort of sort through all of those things. And I think, you know, we're looking forward, we've got inflation now and looking forward in the next 12 to 18 months, like that whole transition is going to take years, you know, and I think it's going to feel a little uncertain until we do that. And so that's, that was sort of the motivating reason for launching the economy explained, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which is, you know, like three month old data or like six month old data or year old data just like doesn't have the same staying power that it used to. And really not just having the data, but like making sense of it in that like big context. And then thinking about what that 
like means for real people trying to make real decisions. Like, do I make an investment here? Do I make this big decision? Do I make this big leap? Do I not? Um, you know, it's like really sort of what's important, like the closer you can get to the data and try and make sense of it, like the better, like the more able you are to just like make an informed decision, right? Like yeah. it could go any way, but like make the best decision that you can given the like environment that we have. But yeah, yeah I think crazy pants is still like a reasonably good way to describe where we're at. So can I ask a question about the, I, I mean, I don't know historically like what if if there's anything to compare to the amount of money the government has kind of put out in the last kind of two years with pandemic relief in all the different forms is there kind of historically ever been a time when our government has put that much out and like what should we think about as firm owners as we're well like what are going to be the ramifications or, or what's the best guess i guess yeah, I mean, so the best guess, and and I don't think there's a there I don't think there's a recently applicable example, right, that we can sort of look to. I think people are talking a lot about like the inflation of the 1970s, but there's sort of a different environment and context, and so I think there are only so many like takeaways from that. But but you're right, Matt. The you know we pumped a bunch of money into the economy so that people who had lost their jobs, you know, wouldn't starve, right? And, and we also stopped, you know, collections on certain types of debts, right? So that people, you know, who had been impacted and, you know, I think the government at the time was really trying to just like do things to help protect people in this crisis environment. And so the the lasting impact of that, to your point, is that we have a bunch of money in the economy and we've got lots and lots of demand and, you know, supply chains that can't keep up and, you know, jobs that still have to be resorted. So, I've heard the expression that it's kind of like, uh, like, you know, putting a big shop back suction on a very tiny little straw to try and drink an extra thick milkshake, right? Like it's, it's a, like, it's a very constrained process that we're sort of trying to work through. Um, and I think, and that's what's causing, right, all that inflation. So the Fed, you know, has been hiking up interest rates to try and cool demand. And we know from a bunch of economic research that it typically takes, a year and a half to two years to really level out, right, that inflation for those, for that action to sort of like spread throughout the economy. And, you know, I think for uh, for firms, what that means is like, you're going to sort of get squeezed on both ends, right? Like your costs are going up. You might have limited ability to pass those costs right onto your customers. And then to make things like, you know, extra, extra nutty, right? Like extra spicy. You sort of often think about like a tough economic environment as being like, well, at least we have good talent candidates, right? And like people are worried about losing their jobs, but like that's not happening either. Um, you know, so like every time I hear from a firm, it's like retention, retention, retention. We cannot like keep people in our business and we can't find good people. And so I think, you know, businesses are are having a tough time on both sides, which is, I think that's really the odd part is like, we're in this sort of tough environment where inflation is, you know, really pressing people, but also like talent's really hard to keep, you know, planning for a future in that scenario is like, it's tough. It's such a weird confluence of things, right? It is so it is very strange because I do think I've been the same way, I guess, as you mentioned, Matthew, or like try to look for the past for like, oh, where did this happen before? What can we learn? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not so sure. There's been many examples. I guess we're creating kind of some new example for this, but it's, it is challenging. I'll ask a, um, a question for you, Matthew. 
this is a little, little, I won't say a little off topic, but like, I'm just thinking through all this. Um, and I, we both have kids in college. So I, I have one, I think who's taking an economics class. How did you do in economics, Matthew, back in college? Do you remember? I mean, I think I, I only took one, one or two. I, I think, think I, I took like one or two. Yeah. Took macro, micro. I did. Yeah. Oh, I, oh, I did really well in the, the non-accounting. I did horrible. I struggled. Like, uh, I said this. I was like, all, I was like all A's in the business school except for my accounting classes. The, the oh, accounting the classes were really class. hard. Yeah, for so. I mean, it was like I was a generally good student. Economics, like I don't know why. I just I struggled. I got a C in it, like, and I had to fight like tooth and nail. Anyway, um, uh, twenty now. I was, I, I was, I was, I was good. I was good in those those classes. I couldn't wrap so. my head around it then, but I feel like now, for some reason, <laughs> now I'm much more fascinated by it. But like as this undergrad, anyway, I was just curious about Matthews. I mean, we obviously know how Liz did in her economics classes. I would say going on for a PhD, but I I struggle with them. Um, something else I've heard recently, and this may be um, from folks talking about just about data, and you mentioned. How looking back at data um, may not even be that helpful for how fast things are changing. Do we feel like we've got good? I mean, do you, as an economist and your team, the rest of the economics team, is there enough good data out there? Is it a? Um, are there are there parts of the economic environment we still feel like there's not good enough data, or it lags for too long to get there, or is there too much data to sift through, or is it some kind of combination of that? Like, how do you? There's a lot of data out there, but I've heard there are parts that are like sometimes around things. Um, like pricing and demand it feels like it's still kind of fuzzy math we're trying to get. I mean, does that pose a lot of challenges for you and the team when you're trying to pull these insights together? Yeah. I mean, I, any, any data person will tell you that the data is never good enough. Right. Um, <laughs> like it's like not, not to necessarily get too far out in the weeds, but like, it's like data in itself is a compression of what the actual world is. Right. So like you can never paint a full picture with data because it's we always have extra questions because it's not it's not the full world so yes and um we actually have more data than ever before right so you know five years ago you only had u.s government data that was anywhere between one year or one month and one year old right uh, that you cared mm -hmm. about and now you know gusto has its own data visualization we just launched another one about the extent of remote work which i actually think is probably the number one like thing is figuring out how to get good data around remote workers mm. um is like a big gap it's something that we need to really think through and i think it's it's definitely a challenge and obviously you know nobody can measure everything because the world is complex but i think where we have really done a great job not i mean gusto but also just sort of collectively the government and the private sector i think have really done a good job in this environment of saying like we've got tons of real time data right we yeah, can yeah. see what's happening and we can contribute a piece of that picture right, right for people like on my gustonomics team to sort of sort through that and try and like piece together that whole which is which is never going to be a whole and complete picture yeah. And also to your point, you know, we take pictures of the economy, uh, the act of translating that to a business owner who runs a specific business in a specific place in a specific time is always going to be, you know, an art and a science. For sure. For sure. Um, you, you touched on just there about remote work. And I think it took me back again to hearing you talk at Gusto Next about some of the challenges in this labor market um, and how I think your recommendation, or I guess really coming from Gusto and from your team 
was to really focus on retention. We mentioned, Matthew mentioned earlier too, focus on retention. And I think that if I remember correctly, one of the areas, it, when we think about maybe practical steps for other firm owners who are listening to this, other accountants listening to it, how we advise our clients was to really try to help our clients and other accounting firms see that remote work, there is a correlate or there is a positive impact that remote work has on retention. Is that, Am I remembering that correctly, that you, the team found that there was some positive aspect there? Yeah, we did. We found a really, we found a positive association that's actually like pretty strong in terms of dollars. So we looked at like remote work versus non-remote workers. And we found that like, after we control for like the industry you're in or the salary that you make, or like all those other things that might affect how long you're in a job, you know, being a remote worker is associated with a 13% reduction in the risk of quitting. Right. So like if you want to translate that in the model with I'm not going to get too in the weeds about how the model works unless you really want to. But we probably need a few more beers for that. Um, <laughs> you know, that sort of you you basically have to pay a worker an additional eleven thousand dollars a year in salary to get the same reduction in risk that they oh, quit. Wow. And so like this, these types of things are what economists call like non-money, like non-salary value, right? Parts of the job. So like the ability to work where I want, when I want, how I want um, is really valuable to employees. And in fact, we can see that, you know, there have, there have been other research out there. We can see that employees are actually willing to, you know, trade off some of the salary that they would otherwise get for it. And even if you don't trade off salary, increasing the level of like commitment and happiness and engagement that you're getting, especially from people who use their brains, right, to to make money for the business is a really good thing, right? And I think that's especially true for knowledge workers or creative workers. Like if your business is differentiated on the quality of service or the type of innovation or like, you know, some sort of knowledge-based work, having people that aren't just showing up but that are doing that extra effort to solve problems and find ways to drive the business like is a really good investment. So we talked about remote work and you know we found this result and also we actually surveyed people and we actually we asked them about when they accepted or rejected their last job offer. And at that time at the time you're accepting or rejecting a job offer, right? Like you've already had the conversations about salary, you know, you're in the right salary ballpark yeah. and you've talked to everybody at the company. So you're like kind of okay on culture, but the number one reason why people accept and the number one reason why people reject their last job offer is like flexibility. They accept it when they believe that they'll get flexibility and they reject it when they want more of it and they don't think that they'll be able to get it. So like those two things together are showing us a lot that like remote work is what I, is what I'm calling a high value, low cost benefit because it doesn't really cost employers much, but it has like an outsized impact on how engaged and how much and how long they stay. Right, right. In that same vein, I think you also mentioned another thing that helps, you know, uh, on the retention side, we're just offering benefits, if I remember. And so yet benefits are something to where I guess I know we offer them, but it, I can think back to when we were smaller and thinking, oh my gosh, offering whatever it might be, healthcare or 401k just sounded very daunting. Because I mean, to us, that was real hard cost. There are hard costs associated with that, unlike some of the remote work. But I guess 
even playing that out when there are maybe more costs associated, it sounds like per at least the data that you saw that the value is still very much there or at least greatly outweigh the cost. Am I, is that correct? Yeah. I mean, and like, I'll caveat that by saying like every business is different, but if you have an employee who's not generating as much value as you're paying them, like you have, you're in like a different set of problems than we're really looking at, right? So I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to assume that if you care about keeping an employee, it's because they're valuable to your company. <laughs> That's probably a good In thesis, which case, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In which case we also, you know, we asked HR professionals and like people who run companies, like how much more valuable is somebody that stays at your firm who's good, right? Who stays at your firm for six months versus three years or three years versus five years. And over five years, these business owners say, like, if a good person stays with me for five years, they're almost twice as valuable to the company mm -hmm. as someone who stays for six months. And when you think about, like, the value generated against, like, the incremental cost, like, I totally get the challenge because it's upfront money, right? And, and you know, that's, like, real dollars. Yeah. And the sort of value, right, out into the future takes a little while and it might be even hard to monetize in terms of like, what's the value of somebody having a great idea, right? In two years. Um, and that that can be difficult. What I, I would say that one of the reasons that I've been focusing on what think of as like a high value, low cost is that it sort of takes the pain a little bit out of, you know, putting a ton of real dollars down. And I think what we're finding is businesses can do stuff with smaller amounts of money that are really like maximizing the value of those dollars. And one of the benefits that I'm thinking of specifically is 401k benefits. So actually after Gusto Next, we released some research that shows that uh, offering a 401k benefit is actually a bigger increase or like a bigger benefit for employees than even like remote work in terms of like their risk of quitting. So we found a 13% risk of quitting for remote workers specifically, and we found a 32% reduction for for workers that have a 401k, wow. which are much less expensive than health insurance. It's a much larger benefit. And actually, you know, we think of 401k benefits as being like kind of dull uh, benefits, right? Like uh, retirement savings is very boring and finances and all that stuff. But like employees really, really value it. And we could talk about why that is, but like, Again, it's not something that costs a lot of money, uh, but it is something that employees really, really care about and that they will stay for. Yeah, we were looking at, at that the other day because we had our matching portion, we were approaching where we had matched a million dollars for all of our employees cumulatively over the lifetime of the plan. It, we were like hitting that milestone was kind of, I was like, oh, that's like, that's like actually I understand why that that makes sense to me when I think of like what the impact has been to employees from that perspective. Well, even, I guess. Yeah, in our own little small sample size, um, I should remember this. We're using guideline through Gusto, but I, I mean our participation rate in the four hundred one k plan is incredibly it's huge. High. It's huge. It's it's, yeah. it's multiple factors higher than our participation in our health plan. Um, mm -hmm. And that could be based on the structure of those plans, but I think also it probably has a lot to do with what's important to those individuals who participate in them. So that's interesting to hear that validated. Well, I have a, I have a theory about that actually. Um, if so, four hundred one k is totally additive and it's owned by you, right? Like if I get a four hundred one k from you, Kenji, my employer, um, it doesn't matter if 
my spouse or my partner also gets a 401k through their employer, right? Those dollars don't cancel each other out. They just stack on top of each other. They're, they're really tax advantaged, right? So like, they're not like any other dollars that an employer gives you and they're mine. And I take them with me. Um, you know, we have, a we have a customer, uh, called squared away that, uh, does like employment for military spouses primarily. Right. And like, mm-hmm. they're working and they've spent a ton of their career following their military spouses around, but now they're working and they have money to contribute and it's theirs and not like anybody intends to get divorced, but things happen. Right. And right. there's like that kind of value that it's yours, it's additive and it has all these tax advantages means that in some ways it's really different from a health benefit. Because if I don't get health coverage from you, Kenji, maybe my partner has it, right? Or maybe I'm still on my parents' insurance, right? Or maybe I can get a subsidy from the healthcare marketplace. There are other ways for me to get that benefit. And that's not true of 401ks, which is why they're, they tend to, I think that they're sort of more valuable in the minds of employees. That's interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. It makes so much sense when you think of it that way. I, I do. I, I think there is a lot of power in that. It makes me feel <laughs> better, you know, in the sense of I think where we're trying to make changes in certain plans of like, yeah, because renewal time right now, yeah, of course, on healthcare, and we're seeing all the rates come through, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I'd rather I would rather do more and find some way to be advantageous in a retirement and a savings plan like that, that I would probably go, Oh, great. We're just having to deal with higher premiums over on the healthcare side, but that's a, that's an acuity thing that not everybody's going through that. Um, I can, I got a question. Yeah, go ahead, Matthew. Can I do one? Yeah. Go All ahead. right. Okay. Liz. So I'm in a, I'm in a, a group with six other firm owners and um, the topic in the November in our November meeting was about, we, we saw people, really slowing down on the buying side. And so kind of from a macroeconomic perspective, everybody's trying to plan right now for 2023. So like, should we hire? Should we freeze hiring? Like, should, should, what, you know, what, so what would your advice be? Like, I know you like helping us help our clients, but just for us, for our companies, for our, (laughs) our businesses, what would your top couple of things to think about going into 2023 be for firm owners right now. Yeah, I I can talk a little bit about that because I actually touched on this in Gusto Next too. You know, we talked a lot about the labor side, but we also sort of talked about that like buying, spending side. So like one, a reduction in buying is what the Fed is trying to do. Like that's why it's like jacking up all those rates. And what I said at Next is one of two things is going to slow consumer demand. It is either going to be continued inflation or it is going to be right this rise in interest rates that is slowing everything down. And I think we can expect that to like sort of come to fruition in 2023. Like that is the plan. That is what in fact the Fed and the government are trying to do is to sort of slow down this like superheated demand environment, right? Where everything's sort of happening too fast. I think that you know from a you know I I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know when that'll happen. I don't know exactly how, you know, how tough it'll be. What I do know is that every firm should be thinking about how much institutional knowledge, like how much knowledge is in their employees and how how long it would take them to build that in someone else, right? 
mm-hmm. and how they can balance the risk that they overhire and then have to let people go or you know like how like how do you preserve the things that are really valuable to your business and your people and what is it going to take to do that I would definitely recommend planning for a reduction in spending somewhere on the order of 10 to 15%, I think is like a good, is a good benchmark to plan. Again, it could be a little over, it could be under. Nobody's forecasting anything but like a mild recession next year, if anything. So like we need to be, I think, a little tempered in how, you know, how how worried we are. Like the sky is not falling. This is a pretty normal part of like business cycle. And then I think I would say like, you know, we're also like really big picture in a process of digitalization and, you know, thinking about work and what work needs to be done. What can be contracted out that your employees don't need to take on, right? That you can have like a little more flexibility about, right? To take on or take off. Are there digital tools that your employees, right, could be using that would save them 10 hours? 20 hours so that they could be really devoting their time and effort to the things that are driving value for the firm. And also, do you know the things that are really driving value for the firm, right? And are your employees like fully focused on that, right? I I would say, you know, moderate reductions, like now is the time to plan, but also now is the time to focus really on like the essentials and what is really driving the value for your firm and making sure that like that is locked in. Is so even taking it, you know, beyond, I guess, Matthew's six firm owners is what you just <laughs> described. Uh, I think it's, it's great. I mean, to focus there, but like, I think as more recent news and we see, I mean, certainly it's hard to, when Elon does things at Twitter and is making huge recently out there, that, that's a little bit like, okay, talk about on a different planet and different things happening. That's who knows, who knows what they're doing over there. But when you look at Facebook meta, uh, Amazon, others who are really starting to kind of really crank down on the labor side. Is, do you think, is that a response to what you just mentioned, Liz, of like, are they seeing the slowdown out in 2023 as well too, thinking, gosh, we need to get ahead of that. And we probably should go ahead and get a little leaner on labor. Is this that kind of turning point, especially maybe from the tech side, away from this growth mentality into more of a value mentality, or I don't know, that, that's, those are a couple of examples more in the big tech space that's grabbing a lot of headlines these days, or is that, do you think that's something different going on there? Yeah, well, it has been a long time since I was managing the financials for Meta, i.e. <laughs> never. That's, that's, that's maybe a poor joke, but it's all to say that like, you know, I don't, I'm not in these companies. And so it's hard for me to know exactly what their balance sheet looks like. But, you know, what I will say is that those big layoffs, to your point, are concentrated in very large industry specific companies that have never had a lean year. Hmm. And I, you know, I don't know the specifics of those financials. But what I can say is that a lot of the job openings that are still out there that people are trying hard to fill. And what we're hearing anecdotally is not, I'm ready to let people go. It's like, I still need to get people in the door. Most of the job openings that are sort of still open, like really big companies have actually slowed their hiring a bit as you're, as you're noting, but small businesses, you know, less than 250 are still really starved for talent. And you might think that there's an opportunity in those big layoffs, right, for smaller businesses to get 
some really great talent that otherwise, right, maybe wouldn't have thought of them, right? So there is also an opportunity in that, right, for businesses, I think, that are really looking to, like, find people who, you know, want to do great work and who have, you know, really great skills. I, I think the 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 metric that I remember jumping out to me at Gusto Next was, I guess it was the number of job openings compared to unemployed. And it was at the time two. Is that still, still two? It's still two. It. It's okay, still so two. there it is. Yeah. It's still two. So in that case, you're right. It hasn't really, the problem still exists of there's way more job openings today than there are for qualified people to take them. So interesting. Yeah. Um, how, I guess, talking in current topics, like, and you're in DC, right? Is that where you're mm-hmm. located? Yeah, uh, home sweet center, home. Center of everything. Um, what are things like, more in general, I don't know if you can speak to this round of midterm elections and some of the changes that happen, or or just in general, is that is that something that you have to factor into your data as a team of like, wow, changing political landscape? Um, and will the changes that came in the midterm, is there anything that you're expecting uh, to come out of this now that I guess the Senate flips? Other than gridlock. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anything that you expect or is it like, now this is just the way that, you know, I'm a DC, DC resident. This is the way it always is. It's always chaotic and crazy. And you just kind of write it off. Or do you have to think about those implications of election cycles and politics and in, in, in some of your analysis? Yeah, a great question that I definitely am sweating a little to answer, to be honest. Um, I mean, D- DC is a very particular place and a lot of DC life, right, revolves around like who's in the majority majority and who's in the minority and you know what did so and so say from an economics perspective it's it's true that you know the laws we make and the rules we set about the economy affect right like the lives of real people that's why it's such such high stakes the thing is it's something that i would say that we keep a very close eye on with our policy and advocacy folks but you know we we think through like what are the possible ramifications and how do we prepare for that but also laws take a while to get implemented right so it you know it almost never happens that congress passes a law and then the next day right something happens and also the stated objectives of politicians don't translate cleanly to like a law that gets written once it's been you know mulched through committee and negotiation and then has to get implemented so I think my answer is yes. And, um, you know, around DC, like that's a lot of the conversation, but like on my team and from an economics perspective, it's something that we need to be mindful of when we're thinking about what the implications are, but, you know, things don't happen like the next day, right. After these elections happen. More importantly, since you're in DC, uh, Kenji and I both want to know if you'll keep tabs on our children. Mine is at University of Maryland and his is at American. That's true. So have you be monitoring them for the next three and a half years? That'd be great. Oh uh, that, that'd be yeah. that'd be awesome. Okay. So, um hopefully you've put like a little tracker in their phone and you'll just send me the coordinates. I'll send you the coordinates and you tell me how bad. How bad, how bad is it? Has to be. Uh, how bad? Like is it that is me? a very seedy bar. I will right, tell you, right. like, that is a very seedy bar that they are in. My you son Sam just got off at this there. metro stop. That's yeah. yeah Tipton and Sam just went nuts with uh, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, so, um, right. well, I want to before we finish up, we start rating beers. I guess um, I am so appreciative of this conversation, and it's it's really cool for me to be able to 
here you present at Gus the next and go, wow, this is amazing. And now I get to have a conversation with you. But I think this is really what accountants and firm owners should expect. And when we look at the economy explained that you're that Gusto's putting out and you guys are putting out, that's a great tool for people to have in their hands. So how is that going to work? Like talk a little bit about, I mean, this is relatively new, but can you just for folks who are listening go, okay, how do I get to access this information? How often does it come out? Like what is it? How does it come out? Like what's it what can happen with it? Why how should we use it? Out? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah th- thanks for setting me up to talk about one of my favorite initiatives right now. That's so kind of you. Um, yeah, so we actually launched The Economy Explained at Gusto Next. And, and what The Economy Explained is, is a quarterly release for accountant partners. Of It's a one pager and a video to sort of say, hey, this is what's going on in the economy right now. Here are the key metrics that we are watching that and why, and that we think you ought to be watching to think about what they mean for the businesses that you serve or for your own business, right? Um, and we are also, so we're also releasing like a one pager of that data, you know, so that accountants can print that out and have conversations. They're like quarterly planning or their annual planning conversations with their clients. You know, we've heard a lot, like you said, Kenji, like you get questions like this all the time from clients, like what's going on? How do I plan for this? And they don't have, I don't think you have an accountant on staff, right? Despite the fact that I think you have a great team. And like I said, you know, the big four, like KPMG, Deloitte, all these places, they can afford this economic intelligence. And in fact, the fact that they have huge teams of economists to do this means that like it impacts those decisions. And, you know, what we really wanted to do is help accountants have those conversations in a really easy, digestible way where we're not just being like, the interest rates are up and the terminal rate will be 6% next year, which it won't, that nobody's forecasting that. Um, you know, but like really to bring that down to the level of like, this is what that means for a business that is trying to plan. This is the three month sort of outlook for us based on that data. So we're going to be releasing it quarterly. It's on the accountant resources page, and we are going to be releasing the next one to get on a quarterly schedule at the end of January. So like after all the the nuts so of you know end of year closeout and all that stuff the crazy and then pants. actually yeah. like all the crazy pants of the holidays which i think are pretty busy times for accountants um then we'll be getting on a quarterly schedule and also we'll be expanding to do uh industry level data which we're working on right now and we will also be expanding to do um geographies so like we can we'll be giving you like the labor situation in like Chicago or Columbus or you know Atlanta or Austin right wherever you know wherever accountants are so that they can have more direct more informed conversations so that they look better for their clients right so that they can give the answers that their clients are asking for so like they can show up in a way they want to show up that's awesome that's just i think it's just a huge huge tool for us to all have. And I think for those of us who've been doing advisory work for a long time, I think others who are maybe trying to kind of get into those types of conversations more readily, it's just a great tool. And I think anything that's got, Matthew and I are always obsessed with anything you can do on a regular cadence like that and build that in as an expectation with clients and knowing that we can look forward to getting that and getting those insights from you and the Gustonomics team each quarter is going to be awesome. And so I hope folks, we get a lot of folks who listen to this and and get signed up and make sure they go check that out on the partner resources side. But um, before we let you out of here and get ready for you know our Thanksgiving Thanksgiving coming up here on us, 
let's rate some beers. And let me pull up our exciting rating tool here. Hold on. Let me screen share this. <laughs> While he's doing that, I, I, you've inspired me with the gust, like all the gusto naming. I think we should have one for acuity. So uh, it'd be like all the, I think all the our people's kids, we should call acute, acuities. Acuities. <laughs> well, they're gusto is good about it. Here, I, I heard you mention like you know a customer, you know customers, yeah. and uh, I know, but I think we should get... call like all of our employees' kids. I think they should be acuities. I love that. I think I, I Matt, I think you're onto something. I, I just you. I think it depends on the day and time with my children. I mean, there's sometimes yes, I'll call them that. There's just too many. Well, not times our where, kids. Our kids yeah, are our, way past. They're, they're teenagers. They're college students. So they're they're, teenagers, they're so. teenagers and college students. Like I, I, I think we, have, we, we we typically have lots of lots of babies though getting born lately. That's so true. It's we have a lot of babies coming I feel like for your college kids, you could definitely use this strategically. Like when you know boyfriends and girlfriends and like romantic partners come <laughs> home for the holidays. And be like, how's my little acutie? Oh, <laughs> that's that's always we'll always take Noted. more ways to embarrass them. Always, always, dude. I can't see your screen. You can't see it. It's not showing up. No, mm-hmm. but uh, it's probably just mine. But hopefully, Can you see it, Liz. No, no, it's fine. Just mm-hmm. tell us. I'll what try to it do. one more time. Just one one more screen. time. If this doesn't work. We'll just do it from off the fly here. Um, let's try one more time. Nothing. No just love. Fail. Just <laughs> go. Just go, dude. We'll just go and do just, them. Yeah, just... we'll go them off the fly. I'm giving mine. Uh, it, it was. It was okay. It was fair. Uh, I'm giving it a three point five out of five. This. This was the again chance logger. Um, awesome. Matthew, how about you? Uh, the Stone Imperial Stout. I'm going four two five. It's pretty oh, solid. Pretty solid that. beer. Ten and a half percent. It's just what the doctor ordered going into the weekend. <laughs> 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 okay. Is okay. that four to five or four point two five? Four point two five. Four point two five. Okay, Liz. Even though we know you're more of a bourbon drinker, how was how would you rate this IPA you're drinking? So you know the thing is, I'm not even like a hoppy person, but I really enjoyed this. So because it is defying my expectations about an IPA for a non IPA drinker, I'm going to give it a four and a half. I think oh, wow. it was very drinkable. A uh, very approachable, like fantastic beer for a non-IPA person. That's awesome. I'm a non-IPA person too, so now I'm I'm intrigued. So. Okay, yeah. okay, we may have to see if we can get our hands on some of that down here as well too. Uh, but next time we do this, and maybe we'll wait till another one of the releases of quarters. We'll come back and um, we'll do this with a bourbon. Oh, yeah, we should. Both we bourbon. should do this in January with bourbon. January oh, bourbon like when yeah. we need to know how bad it is that. in Q4. <laughs> We'll make a little crazy pants meter and we'll just sort of like how crazy pants is it? Is it like, is it like Woodford reserve or is it like happy van? We just, we just need to, we can have the scale and then we can rate our bourbons too. We could, we could all kinds of, all kinds of new ways we're planning to do this, but uh, Liz, we are super grateful you're on. Really appreciate you being here. So thank you for that. And uh, thanks for, all who are listening, feel free to drop some questions out there to us. We'll pass them along to Liz. Um, Liz, anywhere that people can reach out to you directly? Yeah, uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn and you can also send an email uh, to gustonomics at gusto.com. And if you are on Gusto Connect, I am also in Gusto Connect. So you can catch me there too. Nice. Perfect. 
All right, everyone, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Don't forget to subscribe and drop some comments and we'll see you next time here on Drink While You Think. Cheers, everyone. Thank you.